Hello again. Today, we're going to read part two of chapter 11 of Attack of the Turtle. It was dark, and the air was cool. We walked the short distance to the dock, where a small group of men stood. Nearby was a whaleboat filled with sailors. The turtle was tied to the boat. Stand tall and act old, David whispered. General Putnam, this is Private Wade of the 7th Connecticut. He is highly trained with the water machine. He will be making the attack. I thought you were going to do it, Mr. Bushnell, General Putnam said. Judging from the currents tonight, General, I felt it'd be wiser to use a stronger man. It'll take a lot of work to paddle out to the British fleet. Very well, General Putnam said. I must confess, I have rather limited knowledge of what is involved with water machines. He turned towards me. We're all behind you, Private Wade. Do your best. Be sure to steer clear of the enemy fort on Governor's Island. Yes, sir, I said in my best low and husky voice. As I lowered myself into the whaleboat, David leaned down and whispered, I'd tell you to be careful, but if you're too careful, you'll make a mistake. Nate, for this work, you're going to have to make your fear work for you. Trust the turtle. Trust yourself. You can do it. The men rode quietly. I longed for someone to talk to, but I knew we needed to be absolutely silent. In the distance, the warships loomed ominously. Why did Ezra have to get sick? If he'd just stay well a few more days, I wouldn't have to be doing this. When we were halfway to Staten Island, the rowers brought the boat to a stop. This is as close as we dare go, one of them whispered. I stood as the sailors pulled the turtle close to the boat. I climbed up the familiar round side of the submarine and eased myself into the interior. Brass valves glittered in the moonlight. I sat on the support beam and watched the sailors untie the ropes. We're casting off, son, said the sailor, and the boat slowed, drew away. Good luck. With trembling hands, I pulled the hatch shut over my head. I was on my own. In the darkness, I saw a faint glow on the compass and depth gauge. I remember the day I discovered the foxfire in the woods. It seemed like years ago. With my foot, I felt the ballast intake valve. When I found it, I pushed down, and water gurgled into the chamber beneath me. Slowly, the turtle began to submerge. My God, what if the ballast pumps break and I can't float back up? A sudden panic seized me. With my hand... I pushed the ballast pumps, forcing water out of the ballast tank. The turtle began to rise. Oh, of course it works, I thought. Trust the turtle. It's going to work. I pushed the ballast intake valve again. When the windows were just inches above the water line, I closed the valve. Only the conning tower was above the surface of the water. The red coats would be darn lucky to spot such a tiny target. 
So far, so good. I maneuvered the rudder until the compass showed I was pointed due west, where the eagle was anchored. I inhaled deeply and felt cool air from above. The fresh air ventilators were working. I began turning the hand crank. It was slow going at first, but soon I got the rhythm going, just like rowing. Away I went into the night. Through the windows, the vast canopy of the heavens spread out above me. Ten thousand stars glittered. The broad, dark waters of the huge harbor surrounded me as far as I could see. In the midst of this immensity, the turtle and I turned along. A little round bullet headed for the heart of the British Navy. There I was, cranking along all alone in the middle of the night in the water machine. Part of me wished the turtle didn't have to be a secret. There'd be no guns, no marching bands, no glory. I really wished Rachel Pratt could see me. Then I thought about what she was doing back home, how she was dealing with her father. What if the rest of Saybrook had run the Pratts out of town? because Mr. Pratt was a Tory. Would I ever see Rachel again? One hour passed, then another. I churned on. Slowly but surely, the British warships grew larger. There were dozens of them, silhouetted in yellow lantern light. The rigging of the ships looked like giant cobwebs. I held my breath as the turtle proud past the first vessel. All was silent, except for the slight whirr of a hand crank. I knew they couldn't hear anything. The turtle was underwater, after all. But I was cautious anyway. I was deep in enemy territory, and dead if some sailor spied me. Suddenly, the eagle rose in front of me. The bow of the huge warship was adorned with row upon row of windows. The masts soared upwards like the tail, regal pines back home. It was the most beautiful boat I'd ever seen, and I was going to try to blow it up. I eased the turtle alongside. My arms felt like lead, but my brain was swirling. What was I supposed to do next? I was so scared I could barely think. With shaking hands, I opened the hatch. Chilly air washed over my sweaty face and I greedily gulped it in. The eagle towered over the turtle. I could hear sailors talking far above. It was the closest I'd ever been to the enemy, except for Mr. Pratt, of course. Their strange British accents floated down. The sailors sounded young, and I wondered what they were talking about. The war? Their girlfriends back in England? What they had for dinner? Strange. I never thought about hurting anyone when I started helping David. I shook away the thought. What was I supposed to do next? Submerge the submarine and get under the eagle. I pulled the hatch down and sat. My heart was pounding and my right leg was twitching wildly. Leg, what is wrong with you? I hissed in exasperation. I grabbed it with both hands and forced it down on the ballast intake valve. In a moment, I was descending into the inky darkness. 
Down, I drop fast. Much faster than I had anticipated. In fact, the turtle was sinking like a rock. I panicked and frantically clawed the wooden walls. I had to get out. I had to get out. If I didn't, the turtle would get stuck in the mud at the bottom of the harbor, and I'd die. Suddenly, I was five again. I was falling into the river. I couldn't breathe. I could feel myself going down, flailing my arms like crazy. Then I saw a surge of bubbles above me, and a flurry of arms and legs. A large figure appeared, grabbed a fistful of my hair, and yanked me upward. I relaxed and let David rescue me, and soon I was safe at the surface. There were no bubbles this time, no rescuing hand appearing out of the darkness. Instead, David's words surged up inside me. Let your fear work for you. Trust the turtle. Trust yourself. You can do it. I eased off the intake valve, reached over to the ballast pump, and began pumping water out. Then I reached up and began cranking the upper oars. The turtle stopped sinking, hung motionless for a moment, then began to rise. How long had I been underwater? I wondered. How much air was left? Did I still have time to attach the bomb? The turtle suddenly jolted to a stop, nearly knocking me off the seat. I must have collided with the bottom of the eagle. With a few, few thumps, I settled to a stop. What now? I wondered. Why well, attach the bomb, of course. I remembered the wood screw attached to the top of the turtle. I groped above my head and grasped the iron rod. Breathing the stale air, I strained to remember how the bomb worked. The rod was attached to an iron tube that slid up and down. The screw was attached to the top of the tube. I was supposed to push the tube and screw into the belly of the eagle and twist it in. Then what? I need to hurry, but I also needed to think. The rod and tube detached from the screw. Once it was drilled into the boat, a rope ran from the screw to the bomb attached behind the turtle. I felt in the dark behind me and grasped another rod. It was attached to another screw. This one released the bomb into the water and at the same started, time started the clock mechanism that would explode the gunpowder in exactly an hour. The rope would keep the bomb tied to the bottom of the boat. Time to drill. I pushed the tube up and began feeling for the wood above me with the end of the screw. I felt a scrape and heard a faint metallic sound. Strange, I thought. I pushed the tube hard and began cranking the rod. But instead of penetrating wood, the turtle bounced away. When it resettled again against the bottom of the eagle, I tried again. It bounced away again, as if pushed by an unseen hand. I tried five more times with the same results. Something was wrong. The razor-sharp screw would have cut right into the wood. Or maybe it wasn't wood. Was I hitting something else? I was panting, and my head felt light. The air was dangerously low. I decided to surface, refresh the air, and try again. 
I gave, gave the hand crank a few turns, and to my amazement, blasts out the water like a piece of cork. I hurriedly opened the hatch and looked upward to see if any sailors had heard the splash. All was quiet. Relieved, I closed my eyes and drank the cold, delicious air like it was buttermilk. When I looked up, I noticed the ship's riggings in great detail. How strange. I hadn't noticed this earlier. Were there more lanterns than before? With a shock, I realized the soft light bathing the boat was the first light of dawn. Before long, the turtle would be exposed for the whole harbor to see. The sailors would sound the alarm, and I would be captured or, or worse. I had to think fast. I could submerge and try to attach the bomb again. Maybe I'd find wood in a different part of the boat. But by the time I'd resurface, the sun would be up. I knew I'd better make a run for it while it was still dark. But then the mission would be a failure. I didn't have much choice. I closed the hatch, maneuvered the turtle towards the east, and began working the hand crank. I was headed back to the battery with the worst imaginable cargo, an unexploded bomb. And this is the end of chapter 11.